Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. At middle age, so many of us have already experienced, and it's guaranteed at some point the rest of us will, loss through death of a loved one, someone very close whose departure leaves a giant void in our lives, You know, the only guarantee we humans have is that none of us will live on in our physical bodies forever. And when someone passes away, especially if it's a loved one you live with, everything changes in an instant. Anticipated or not, the experience is a terrible milestone that can bring your life to a standstill. And for those left behind, the grief can be utterly crippling. And as we will discuss today, the process of recovery when mis- is misunderstood or when it's misunderstood and poorly handled can lead to a traffic, uh, tragic extension of grief and lack of initiative to snap back. And our goal today is to help you, uh, all of you presently suffering or destined to suffer loss of a loved one in the future, and that's all of us, isn't it? to cope, develop resilience, grow, and even thrive in the years to come. And my guest today, psychologist and grief expert Sherry Comier, is here um, to offer some effective tools for healing, and she knows from first-hand experience that they work. You know, a few years back, Sherry Comier had it all, a thriving marriage, a vibrant career, a new home, closely connected family of parents, daughters, and stepdaughters, And then uh, in a startling short span of time, her husband, Jay, was diagnosed and died of cancer, and her mother, father, only sibling, and even her beloved dog passed away. And Dr. Comier uh, relays that she was wholly unprepared for the shock of her own grief, but over the intervening years, she is focused on discovering how, while not forgetting their loved ones, people have managed to rise above the darkness and gone on to pursue positive, meaningful lives. In fact, she's just released an inspirational and highly informative book on the subject titled Sweet Sorrow, Finding Enduring Wholeness After Loss and Grief. And Sherry Comier, Ph.D., is a licensed psychologist and professor emerita at West Virginia University, also a formal faculty member at the University of Tennessee, and for several years she was in private practice in adult psychotherapy in Morgantown, West Virginia, and she's a certified bereavement specialist, consultant, and public speaker, and author of two prior academic textbooks. And hello, Sherry Comier. We're indeed honored to have you with us here today. Well, hello, Roy Richards, and I, it's my honor. I'm so honored to be with you, and being in Iowa, I want you to know, know, really, I grew up in Kansas, so I am also a fellow Midwesterner. Yeah, just about as bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a, it's, people always think it's just some place to fly over, but if they stop and uh, experience the Midwest, it's really not that bad, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, let's be great with, people. 
Let's begin with your own traumatic loss. You describe your marriage to husband Jay, a fellow psychotherapist, as a mostly magical love story. Please briefly summarize the shocking diagnosis that Jay received just a week after your 17th wedding anniversary and the difficult roller coaster like journey the two of you experienced until Jay's passing six months later. Please tell us a bit about that. Well, Roy, you know, yes, we had just celebrated our wedding anniversary, and we we came back, and Jay was robustly healthy. In fact, just a month before this, we had both had blood work done, extensive blood chemistry work done. His was perfect. Huh. I think his was better than mine. <laughs> and... Um, we got back from a wedding anniversary trip, and he said to me, kind of off the cuff, I'm going to go see Brian, who was our, Brian was our uh, family physician. And I was a little surprised because he was, ne- Jay was never sick. He never went to the doctor. Um, and I said, well, okay, what's going on? And he said, well, I've just noticed I've been having a little trouble swallowing my food, and I'm not sure why. So to make a very long story very short, um, actually then the day, it was July 5th, it was the day after the 4th of July, he had an upper endoscopy and colonoscopy done. And I will never forget, the surgeon came out and he said his colonoscopy is fine, but he said we found a huge mass at the base of base of his esophagus. Well, that's scary, isn't it? When you yeah, and like he that. said he's got six to twelve months to live. Oh wow! And he more. died six months later. And it's in the ensuing six months, yes, it was scary. It was shocking. I think, you know, we were both in our. He was only in his early sixties. Yeah. Like I said, he was never ill. Yeah. So. We were just in shock, I think, and then of course the heartbreak when you when you when the reality starts to sink in of what this is really going to mean. Yeah, I don't know you. whether it's more traumatic to uh, suffer from a, a sudden loss like uh, an auto accident or something like that, or uh, <laughs> whether it's worse, you know, like you go through six months of uh, up and down roller coaster when the doctor gives a good report. I can still remember. When my wife's sister died, there were some days when it looked like she was going to recover and her blood work and everything were good. And then, you know, it turned around for the negative a few weeks later. So, it's a, Or whether that's worse or we hit all at once, like our daughter was killed in a plane crash. And, you know, it all happened suddenly. And I don't know which is worse, grieving. They're both awful. Oh, I'm so, I'm really, I'm, my heart goes out to you for your daughter and you know I don't know either because I know people who've had it both ways you know they get the news that their loved one has died in a wreck or you know people who die after an extended illness I mean the end result I think is the same the person somehow ends up leaving you whether it's suddenly and unexpectedly uh, or whether you think you have time to prepare, and I don't know if you really do. I do think that perhaps we feel that the people who struggle the most with grief and bereavement just 
sort of putting my bereavement specialist hat on now. Those people seem to be ones who've lost someone important to them in a violent way, an inexplicable, sudden violent way, like a mass shooting. Yeah, especially something so pointless. It seems, Mm -hmm. you know, so utterly pointless like it incident in Las Vegas when all these innocent people listening to a country music concert suddenly uh, some creep shoots them from up on a balcony. (laughs) Yes, so people who are their loved ones really can struggle with that. Not that we all don't struggle, but that can be a really particularly difficult kind of loss to recover from because, you know, A, it's sudden, B, it's unexpected, and C, it is so senseless, and and it happens in such a, a violent violent way, and that's very, very hard. Yes, it is. Well, when you're suffering the loss of a loved one, how can you uh, tell when the shock of grief is uh, fading a bit and real healing can begin? Are there certain hopeful signs we should anticipate and look out for that... Uh, Tell us that maybe we can start recovering soon. Well, I think, you know, at first, as I said, I was in shock with Jay. We are, I think, probably, even if we've had presumably time to prepare the best way we can, I think we're all still in a little bit of denial. I think, you know, we just don't quite grasp the idea that we and our loved ones are not going to be on earth forever (laughs) so we're in a little bit of denial and so i think for a while we're numb you know like we just feel numb yeah that's that's for sure (laughs) and that's when you know you're sort of still in shock yeah so when you're numb and you know you you sort of and sometimes maybe you don't even want to reach out to the world or you don't want the world reaching out to you i mean i've had so many people tell me, and I felt this way too, you know, it's like, I just want to go under the covers and hide. Yeah, yeah, you hate to talk about your loss. To, I, you I kind of do. The, I hated the thought of calling our son to tell him about the loss of his sister because it's right. something. And then, you know, like, I, I felt this way, and maybe you did too, Roy, and I've heard so many other people say this, like right after you lose someone, like even going to the grocery store, people come up and say, how are you doing? (laughs) And, you know, you just want to run away because (laughs) you get, (laughs) it's, it's, you're hearing it too often and they're well-meaning, but you're hearing it too often and you can't. There's some healing in telling your story, but you can't just tell it over and over and over, especially to people that perhaps are not in your inner circle. Yeah, I, I so, you made such an interesting point uh, following the death of uh, Jay that uh, you realized you'd been ignoring uh, during the entire life-ending battle that in hindsight you'd been ignoring the question, of uh, what's next for you or uh, how right. am I going to do next? And, because, and you know, you're so focused on helping your loved one yeah. who's, in this case, ill. But I think that, you know, when you sort of recognize when you start to heal is you you sort of peek out of those cover, those bed covers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
and you say, well, maybe I'm sort of ready to go back into the world of life. And, you know, for a year, I had a very hard, there were things I couldn't do for a year. And this is true of other grief survivors. I couldn't go to church without sobbing. I couldn't read a book and I couldn't listen to music. So many people have said that, that there are certain things, certain activities they just can't do while they're still in that shock stage because they're too sort of emotionally provoking. And, you know, I was a basket case as it was, and so I didn't need to do anything that made me more of a basket case because I needed to be able to work. So I think when you feel like you're healing is when you're ready to sort of re-engage with people and with activities that you've put on the back burner. Well, in Chapter 9 of your new book, Sweet Sorrow, you present readers a number of uh, what you call specific guidelines for coping with loss. I know we can't discuss all of them in detail, but can you give us a few of these guidelines? Like, uh, I like the one, reduce responsibility. There's nothing wrong with asking for help as much as you need in the early stages, and although other people like to plunge into work to, uh, you know, temporarily put aside the the grief, but uh, what are some of these other uh, recommendations you recommend, specific guidelines? Well, I I love what you just said, and one thing that I would say is don't try to make any big decisions. Oh, yeah, that's such a mistake. Initially. Yeah, I mean, there are some decisions you have to make, like if you are an executor or executress, I mean, you may have to make those those kinds of things but just making tr- the funeral arrangements is so hard, yeah. Think, yeah so those things and you usually have help with that yeah. but in terms of your own personal life in terms of what am i going to do now or what am i going to do next like yeah. people were always saying to me because after my my I have two adult daughters and they didn't live where jay and i lived yeah. well are you going to move well you know, are you going to change jobs? You know, are you going to date again? I mean, those are all that's big life questions. That's an especially bad thing to ask. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And so, right. So don't, I would say defer life decisions yeah. for a year or two. And that makes so much sense. Yeah, because you're... You don't really know. It's too soon to know. And you don't have, you know, here's the thing. We don't always have to have perfect clarity when we think we need it. Clarity takes time to develop. Yes, it does. So don't put pressure on yourself to know what you don't know. But on the other hand, I like your suggestion to do something novel. With, uh, you know, in the but to do something novel. And the reason that I suggest that is because sometimes you can't, the, the familiar yeah. is too painful. Yeah, that like I couldn't after, keep... like the first Christmas after you've lost a loved one or the right. first birthday or whatever it is. It's a... Those... Those trigger days are really difficult. And so planning for trigger days, planning for days like the first anniversary of the day you lost the person, uh, the holidays, your birthday, their birthday, making plans is good. But the idea of doing something different 
is really important because one of the things that we know is we know that when we do something different, it actually activates a part of our brain and it releases a feel-good hormone called dopamine. And when we get higher levels of dopamine circulating around in our brain, we feel better. So doing something novel is great because we not only feel better, but we're not repeating things that we used to do with our loved one that the memory is so close that we can't keep doing that because we would be sobbing all the time. Yeah, that's true. Well, in that same Chapter 9, you talk about planting and cultivating what you call seeds of resilience. And I loved uh, some of those seeds you listed. Can you please uh, give us a couple that are... Uh, yeah, seeds of resilience. So why is planting seeds of resilience important? Well, I think loss of any kind, Roy, can either make or break us. That's for sure. It can really make or break us. And resilience, you know, the, that word really means to rebound. Yeah. So... How can we, what can we do to rebound? So the number one thing that we've learned and sort of the seed, the number one seed, is probably the practice of meditation. And the reason that's important is that really, again, it induces calm. It changes our brain. It decreases our stress. We don't tend to worry about things. And I can be a huge worrier, so that's been a godsend for me. So it helps us recover more quickly from these stressful life events, like loss. Um, So meditation is very good. I'd say a second one that is huge is finding the right social support because we're hard, we know that loneliness is a killer. And I think grief, you know, when we lose someone, and I bet you felt this way too, you know, in a way, even though people come around in the short term, they leave. They get on with their lives and they get busy. And then when in the, you know, in the sort of distant future, we get really lonely. And grief is such an isolating experience. Yes, it is. That's why social support. I love your contribution and service to others makes a lot of sense, too. Yeah, and part of that, (laughs) yeah, like because you can get kind of, self-absorbed with your loss and grief so and we all know that one of the ways we do recover from grief is to find meaning what how can we make sense of this what's the meaning in this and so if we can find ways to volunteer or to be of service to other people that can be very healing and also can be a way to to rebound and develop resilience. Yeah, use what you've learned through your own difficult experience to help others get through the same thing. Absolutely. One thing we definitely shouldn't ask somebody else is or say to them is, I know just how you feel. Why is this such a bad idea? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm kind of chuckling, Roy, because... You know, we might think, oh, my gosh, we've been through this. Yeah. You lost your daughter. I lost my husband, yeah. father, mother, yeah. dog, and sister. We know plenty about loss, but what we know is that we all grieve differently. Yeah. We all, bur- we all 
go through bereavement differently. And we we all have our individual journey. And so while you and I may know a lot about our own personal loss and how that made us feel, I don't recommend saying to someone else, I know exactly how you feel because I really don't. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it just generates uh resistance when somebody says that I think <laughs> yeah it does so I recommend just acknowledging what we know I yeah. I'm so sorry that you uh, lost your husband or your yeah. wife yeah. I just heard about this and I know this must be a, a really rough time and I'd love to help in any way that I can what what could I do that would be useful yeah. Well, let's let's talk a bit about your brand new book, Sweet Sorrow: Finding Enduring Wholeness After Loss and Grief. Is your book uh, written primarily as a first-hand memoir of your own suffering and transformation, or do you write as a highly trained psychotherapist offering professional guidance on the steps to recovery? I guess you do both. It's really a both and, and not an either or. So, <laughs> about the first third of the book, I do take the readers through my own story of my heartbreaking loss and then how I grew and learned and recovered and through this journey of what we now call post-traumatic growth. And then the second half of the book is really about guidelines, not just from my experience, but from psychology um, in terms of how can we really help ourselves, how do we give care to people, how do we care for ourselves, how do we help other grief survivors. So tips and resources, and I really wrote the book to help people find uplifting ways to cope and heal from loss because, as you said, some kind of loss happens to all of us, whether it's loss of a person, a job, a house, a relationship. None of us are exempt from loss. Most all of us are going to lose our parents before we go ourselves. Mm -hmm. What's really rough is if you lose a spouse or a child, you're always supposed to... Your children are always supposed to outlive you, according to the normal scheme of things. Well, where's the best place to go to preview and purchase your new book, Sweet Sorrow? Well, it is available. Thank you for asking. It's available at all your online retailers very with a click. (laughs) Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, just a click of your button, I'd be... Uh, so thrilled and grateful. I do think the boat, the book provides comfort and inspiration to people who are truly suffering. And I wish all of your listeners hope and healing um, and lightness in the day well, give, ahead. Give us your website where people can learn a little more about you. Sure, Roy. Website. The website is www. Sherry, S-H-E-R-R-Y, Cormier, C-O-R-M-I-E-R, author, A-U-T-H-O-R, dot com. Uh, 
I also have an Amazon author page where you can oh. read more about me. Yeah, well, that sounds great. Well, to conclude, loss of a family member, especially the love of your life, leaves you traumatized and reeling. But it's so important to know that it's possible to regain our equilibrium and rediscover ourselves and our meaning in life after heartbreak and grief, however long that may occur. And it's one thing, uh, thing to study the theoretical message of a Ph.D. in psychology who spent years researching the science and loss of grief, and undoubtedly there's benefit to that, but it's quite another infinitely more vivid experience when it's told by a trained psychotherapist like Dr. Sherry Comier, who herself suffered traumatic loss of her beloved husband, but then moved on to enlighten others through her inspiring book, Sweet Sorrow. And like Dr. Sherry, following loss, you and I can recognize that something deep inside us has shifted. We have changed, grown, and now have an opportunity to thrive. And once that happens, we will have regained our footing and uh, we'll be ready to come back to the land of the living, ready to move on to new comfort, service, and fulfillment while holding the precious memory of our lost loved one forever in our hearts. And I highly recommend Dr. Sherry Comier's book for anyone presently suffering loss, anticipating loss, or who has a friend or loved one currently battling grief. And thanks so much, uh, Dr. Sherry. This has been such a uh, moving experience to talk with you today. Thank you so much for asking me to be on your show. I'm so honored to be talking with you and all the listeners. And best of success on the sale of your new book. It's it's one that's definitely uh, there for uh, anyone who has that need and who is suffering from grief right now or anticipates a loss in the near future. Thank you so much, Dr. Sherry Comier. Thank you so Thanks to you, Royce, so much. In this next segment, we will continue along the theme of today's program, Recovery, Resilience, and Reinvention Following the Death of a Loved One. But for the next few minutes, we're going to concentrate upon the death of a loving spouse or intimate life partner. And primarily, we'll be talking to widows who have lost husbands. But a lot of what my guests suggest will apply to you widowers as well. So you guys, please stay tuned. And my next guest, Catherine Webster, had been happily married to her husband for 15 years. He was both husband and business partner. And her husband, Alexander, who went by Lex, had always been healthy and energetic. And in 2015, Lex went into the hospital for routine heart surgery uh, that the heart surgeon said he came through in flying colors. But a few days later, Catherine's husband, Lex, passed away. And following this completely unexpected death, to quote Catherine, she faced financial ruin, loneliness, trauma, and many other overwhelming challenges. But here's the good news. Catherine Webster was able, by her own words, to turn my horrendous circumstances into a situation whereby I became more vibrant, fearless, competent, successful, and younger. And in fact, she just released a wonderful little book, recounting her past post-trauma recovery and transformation titled Becoming Madam Widow, and she's here to share her story as an inspiration for any and all of us who recently lost a spouse or anticipate we soon will or who have a dear friend or family member suffering from trauma. And before I introduce her, here is Catherine Webster's biography. She's a successful writer, artist, designer, and entrepreneur 
a prominent lifestyle designer whose specialties include interior design and decor for both residential and commercial spaces, design of luxury fashion accessories, and creation of original works of oil and acrylic artworks and illustrations on canvas, and Becoming Madam Widow is her first book, but she also writes and edits fashion and design articles for several uh, style publications. And uh, hello, Catherine Webster. It's, we are indeed honored to have you with us here today. Well, thanks to, thank you very much, Roy. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me to your program. I'm really excited to be here today. Well, uh, let's begin with uh, please briefly describe the tragic circumstances that led to, to your husband's untimely death. It's, it's such a tragic circumstance that you describe. Tell us a little bit uh, about it. Well, my husband was a, a very healthy man. He was a, a little bit high-strung, but he was a very healthy man. He didn't smoke, drink. He was fit. And I went off to Paris, to Paris Fashion Week, because I had a line of fashion accessories that I was showing, and he was my partner. And the day after I got there, he called me and said, I'm in the hospital. And I, and I said, well, you didn't, jokingly, I said, we well, didn't have a heart attack. And he said, well, actually, I did. And so I said, well, I, I'm coming home. And he uh, said, no, 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 there's no damage to my heart. This is all very routine and so on. So after a few days, when I did get home, he was in the hospital and expecting a surgery. Yeah. Now, he came through the surgery with flying colors, but they gave him a blood thinner. They were not able to pre-screen for, and the blood thinner had a negative effect, and he had an allergic reaction to it, and that's what killed him over a period of three days. Yeah, that's that's so awful when the surgeon says, you're doing great, and... uh, Everything went fine, and then that happened. And he was far too young to die. He had plans. And I know that when he had never been sick a day in his life, and when he went into the hospital, it gave him a new kind of perspective view of his life, and he had so many plans when he came out, he was going to conquer the world. (laughs) But unfortunately, he didn't come out, and I went home without him, and that's when my life took a different kind of a turn. And I really, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I'll tell you, it can be really a gift if it's handled correctly, and that was my experience. Yeah, that's that's amazing. What what was it like in the first few days? What was your immediate reaction as, as you sat at Lex's bedside? What were your thoughts and emotions as you struggled after the loss? I mean, well, I didn't like? think, I didn't believe he was going to die until the day he died. I, I really thought he would pull through it. And so did everyone else, because no one could believe that a man that young would be inflicted with something like this. Yeah. But after I left the hospital without him and I went home, um, I think the first the first few days, you just you just need to just rest. I mean, that's what I did. I, I rested. I slept. I called people. I didn't do much of anything because there was this whole business of shock. And it doesn't matter whether your husband has been or wife, for that matter, has been sick for a long time yeah. or whether their death is very sudden. Oh, there is a shock, true. and it's the finality of the situation, knowing that you're never going to speak to that person again. Yeah. Yeah, but then, as you point out, that you have practicalities, tasks, and new responsibilities that you have to deal with, even though you don't want to do anything. I well, you know, that's, that can be actually a, a gift. 
Um, sitting around and thinking about it and feeling sorry for yourself is probably the wrong thing to do. The first thing that I did was I looked at my life and I said, okay, well, um, something has to change here now. And so you ask yourself a central question. Who am I now? Yeah. That's where the whole thing starts, the whole healing process starts, because you have to determine who you are now that you are not married to this person anymore, that you're not going to do the same things, you're not going to go to the same place, you're not even going to eat the same food. Yeah. Now you have an opportunity to redesign your life the way that you want it to be, to look at all your personal imperfections, all the things that you did wrong, or maybe at the time they didn't seem like you were doing them wrong, but now you look at it and say, well, this is kind of a bit of a luxury for me because now I can take my life and design it the way I want it to be for the rest of my life. Well, I bet you're one in a million, though, that can do that. I just... I can't well, imagine. I think you just have to be practical about it. First of all, never take on more than you can handle in a day. And if that means doing one thing or doing nothing, then or just sleeping, meditating, um, just take care of yourself in the, in the first little while. But the, the, you really have to sit down and ask yourself that one central question. Yeah. Well, Who I mean, am I, I now? Yeah. And, and what are the things I always thought I would like to do? and then start making a list and make constant lists and update them and jot down notes and thoughts because down the road, as you begin to evolve, you'll look over your shoulder at the notes you made to yourself in the very early going and say, wow, I have really grown. Yeah, well, that was the first of the three questions. You had uh, two other questions you asked following that. After the who am I now, what are the the next two questions you should ask yourself? Well, um, you you have to. That's the main one. Is who am I now? Now, how do you uh, how do you begin to overcome uh, all the grief, all the fear? The fear is the big one. Yeah. I mean, how do you deal with the fears of being alone? Because now you're going to have to do a lot of things you never did before. And in the first, in the early going, people, friends, family, and and those around you are very supportive, and they're yeah. around, and they're your little support network. But you'll find as a widow or widower, and I've heard this from, I met a man whose wife had passed away, and the, the biggest shock to him was that their, their friends, the people they spent a lot of time with, abandoned him after a yeah, short period of time. The odd man out or the odd woman out of uh, uh, couples had a relationship with the force. Well, for, for two reasons, though. <laughs> Suddenly you're not part of a couple. And if you're yeah. a woman, after a period of time, the women will be... <laughs> Part of it first, and then they start to see you as a bit of a threat, and this is just the feminine DNA. And the men really don't want to be reminded about their own bad habits, so they really don't like to see you there and know that he's not there with you. Plus the fact that nobody wants to really be reminded of the fragility of life. Yeah, that's true. I'm the next one. Right. So everybody would prefer to stay in their own little world, which means that you're going to have to venture out alone. In terms of family members, they'll be there for you the first few weeks. You know, people, I think, give you about two weeks where they feel sorry for you, and then they expect you to get get going along the road to recovery, and that's not nearly enough time to heal. Yeah, the problem is there's no time limit on grief, and different people grieve for different periods. It's, it's Absolutely, long. and if you're a Sicilian widow, that might be the rest of your life. But anyway, yeah, well, that's what um, we don't want. 
Um, But I I do think that it's not necessarily the most sensitive situation for people, but you do have to realize that don't expect too much from them. You're going to have to go along this road by yourself. Yeah. Well, um, what's the biggest thing you learned about yourself after your husband died? What surprised you the most about moving forward? Well, the first thing was I started to analyze myself in a new, whole new different way. You see, when my husband, and I do mention this in my book, but when my husband was alive, I really thought I had it all figured out. <laughs> Once this had happened, it was such a jarring experience that I learned and I realized about myself that I was far from perfect and that I wasn't nearly as strong as I thought I was when I had essentially a partnership. So then I realized that I needed to make some some significant changes to myself if I was going to pursue a new life that was going to be happy. And it's yeah, going that to- was the third question you had. Who am I now? What weaknesses are holding me back and how can I conquer them? And then how can I reinvent myself to be who I truly choose to be? Those were the three questions that the, I noticed in your uh, info package that really made sense to me. If you want to know something, Roy, I really feel that, in a, and even though it doesn't seem like it at the moment, and, and for those people out there that are experiencing something like this or those who have someone that they love who's experiencing something, this can be a lovely gift for you to take an opportunity to really figure out who you are and to do that by yourself. And there's nothing as introspective as being alone and asking yourself these kinds of questions. How can I be a better, more effective, happier person? Yeah, and but so few of us are willing to take that gift. So many people just... Uh... You know, keep regretting and fearing the future and, uh, you know, what's what's going to happen next because I don't have the pillar of my spouse to lean on and all those those changes. But uh, it's, it's the rare person like you that's, that's able to take charge and say, now I'm going to reinvent myself. I think that's Well, it wasn't that simple. I mean, I did. I had a lot of nights where I was really frightened, especially at night. That's when it's when you're alone in a big country house like I was in without a lot of friends. And that's when you probably get closest to some universal answers. You, If yeah. you can make it. And I, what I used to say to myself is just get through this day and at the end of the day I would ask myself did you get through the day and I would make a list of three things that happened that were that were good things yeah. and they might be just something very simple like finding a parking spot when I was out not, not anything big people expect monumental changes but it's yeah. the small changes collectively uh, and I, as I said, after a year or two, when you look over your shoulder, you say, well, I mean, I just can't believe how much I've accomplished in terms of how I'm feeling about myself and how I've been able to heal and what I've learned. Well, here's a question, especially for anyone who routinely uses uh, heavy makeup and or magical face cream in an attempt to look younger. You tell us that your experience of moving forward with life from your personal tragedy made you younger. Please explain how did that occur. Well, okay, that's a, I really, this all boils down to the whole process of renewal. See, the more problems that you are able to solve, the challenges that you overcome, and the fears that you're able to to deal with, there is a process of renewal every time you solve a problem. It's renewal. Now, outwardly, of course, we're all getting older, but it's the inward 
part of ourselves. That that's the key to your youth is is constantly being able to solve problems, challenge, and conquer fears. I mean, what do they say? Fear is faith in reverse gear. Um, fear is just something. And I and I significant. I write a significant amount about about it in my book because. I mean, fear is like it's paralyzing, and especially when you're suddenly on your own and you don't know how to fix a broken toilet or there's a significant snowfall and you can't, you don't know how worth a snowblower or you've got. The thing is also that probably never will occur. That's exactly. Oh, sure. I mean, there's lots of things. You you can't worry about what's going to happen in six months because chances are the problem won't even materialize. So we tend to work ourselves up into a frenzy. But, I mean, I had my share of it in the early days. My husband yeah. came from a wealthy family mm-hmm. and did not buy life insurance and did not tell me that he had neglected to pay some business taxes, and there was a lien on my house. Oh, great. I didn't know about until after I went to the lawyer after he had passed away. And so I had a whole series of financial issues to deal with Um, and that was that was petrifying for me because money scares me like crazy or the lack of it I should say (laughs) that's even more scary well as a final Mm -hmm. question from your book title who is Madam Widow tell us a bit about your life today what it's like to be a strong independent woman and how do you actually feel younger and are more passionate about living than you were before your husband's death what is a Madam Widow like? Madam Widow is uh, an independent woman with a whole package that realizes that there probably isn't anything that she wants to do that she can't do. Yeah. Uh, a woman who is confident and comfortable with circumstances, realizing that no life can be problem-free. So when you do experience a problem and you solve it, your next question should be, bring on the next one, because that's part of your life adventure. And I would assume you, you want to socialize, but on the other hand, you don't feel dependence on having to socialize. I socialize because I want to, and I'm very selective now, and I don't settle for either male or female friends. Mm-hmm. I spend time with people that I enjoy, um, that have had some experiences in their life that I can share with, and those people who are more fearful and not at that point, I tend to steer away, steer clear of them. <laughs> My husband, if he came back today, would not know me. Because, and not just because I'm stronger, but because I realize with all this, all these activities that I've I've undertaken, with all the experiences I've had, I've become a kinder and more gentler person, and more sensitive to people's feelings than I was before he died. Yeah, that's sort of the, the bottom line of the whole thing. I think to. Uh being happy is to really care about others and be concerned about them. Well, you're well you, you, you mature. This is a very quick shortcut to maturity. And if you, if you do it properly, then you can have a life that is abundantly happy. Yeah. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about your book, Becoming Mad- Madam Widow. Is this strictly an autobiography of your own recovery, or do you also include detailed suggestions for others that are attempting? There's some suggestions for others, but basically I'm telling my story. And then I, as I went through the various process of dealing with left and right brain experiences, uh, people in my life, circumstances, even something that I came to realize was a problem for me and that I had never realized before was that I had a tremendous fear of success. People think 
there's a fear of failure, but yeah. the fear of success is greater that you get to a point where you're almost there and you're getting everything that you want because you've been working on it. And all of a sudden, when success is facing you, you panic. Because yeah. you have a whole series, am I, am I worthy of this? Should I be this successful? Are people still going to love me? Can I handle it? Do, how do I feel about myself? So you see, that coming to terms with all of that is, is becoming Madam Widow. Yeah. Well, if there was one single message you would like readers to take away from your book, what would it be? Um, ask yourself the question, who am I now? And then go about the business of answering those as honestly as you can and making improvements on a checklist along the way. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Well, where best should our listeners go to preview and purchase your book? Uh, my book is available on barnesandnoble.com. It's available on amazon.com and on a whole variety of other international booksellers. Yeah, sure. uh, but mostly people are buying it on amazon.com and barnesandnoble. And it is available on Kindle, I notice, as well as... Uh, yes, it is. So if people like to read uh, an e, use an e-reader, you can... Um, you can purchase it that way as well. And in terms of being able to do uh, read a little bit of the book, uh, Prologue is available on my website, KatherineWebster.com. Yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah, I was going to ask your website. That's KatherineWebster.com, and it also talks about the, some of the services you offer. Well, yes, I do some. I always started. A, I always had an interior design business, but I, I do a line of fashion accessories that my husband and I partnered on. But the latest project is a lot of writing. I'm working on uh, a novel now, oh, uh, which I'm almost finished, called The Wicked Game. So it's a little departure from Madam Widow, which is a nonfiction book. Yeah. Well, I'll have to look for that. I love novels. Well, to conclude, I'd like to conclude this segment and today's program with a statement from Catherine Webster's media info package, and it's so true. Personal tragedy allows you the luxury most other people will never have, an opportunity to enjoy the self-indulgent business of completely reinventing yourself as whatever or whomever you choose to be. And having said that, I trust none of you will have to suffer at middle age through the trauma of losing a treasured husband, wife, or intimate life partner, or anyone else for that matter, before his or her time. But if you already have or soon will lose a spouse and know or know a dear friend or family member who is suffering, take advantage of this gift, as uh, Catherine calls it, and uh, reform yourself in the image that you really long to be and uh, come out and uh, find the best who you want to be and find a way to get there. And even if you haven't suffered from trauma, I highly recommend Catherine Webster's book, Becoming Madam Widow, for guidance on how to turn around and reinvent your life at midstream, regardless of present circumstances, because practically every one of us can do better, can't we? And also, in closing, I'd like to recommend my book, A Midlife Challenge Wake Up by Roy C. Richards. And my book contains a comprehensive roadmap with plenty of self-help exercises to define precisely where you want to go, then design your journey from here to there, along with the inspiration to actually launch. And so many people have great ideas they never implement. And congratulations, Catherine Webster, for writing your inspirational book on such a timely subject. And given the tragic nature of your husband Lex's death, it would have been so easy to slide into a bitter life of resentment and regret. Why me? But quite the contrary, you are an inspiration to us all. 
and best of success on your book, your artistry, and your entrepreneurial ventures. Thank you so much, Roy. It has been such a pleasure to speak to you today. And to all of you out there, dramatic, bittersweet or not, the past is past, and today is your next great opportunity for reinventing yourself to a more joyful, loving, helpful, and creative you. And we'll talk to you next time on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 